Chapter 5 The group arrived by Portkey in Ottery St. Catchpole just after sunrise and walked toward the burrow. The kids looked exhausted and were all dreaming of breakfast. Arthur looked like he hadn't slept at all, which was in line with Remus and Sirius, although all the adult men's nerves were so charged that they hadn't yet felt the effects of the sleep deprivation or the running and dueling in the case of Arthur and Remus the night before. Molly Weasley ran out to meet them in the front garden of the burrow with cries of relief. Oh, thank goodness, thank goodness, she said running toward her family. I've been so worried, so worried. She flung her arms around her husband's neck and released him with watery eyes, cataloging her children. You're all right. Ron, Ginny, Fred, and George hugged and assured their mother, and then they made their way into the kitchen. Percy Weasley was waiting for them at the table, along with the teapot and bowls of porridge. The kids pounced on the food and Remus on the tea. Percy looked greatly relieved to see his siblings and then a little embarrassed. Molly had left the Daily Prophet folded in the middle of the table, and Arthur leaned over to look at it. The Daily Prophet's front-page headline for August 26, 1994, was as follows. Scenes of Terror at the Quidditch World Cup, complete with a magic photograph of the dark mark above the treetops, the snake slithering out of the skull's mouth. The top of the fold article, written by none other than Rita Skeeter, featured such words and phrases as ministry blunders, lax security, culprits not apprehended, dark wizards running unchecked, national disgrace, and rumors of former you-know-who supporters. Arthur sighed, not bothering to uncurl the folded newspaper. Molly, I'm going to have to go into the office. This is going to take some smoothing over. I'll come with you, Father, Percy said. Mr. Crouch will need all hands on deck. I'll just go change my robes, Arthur said, heading toward he and Molly's room. Remus, nursing his tea, reached for the newspaper, unfolded it, and then promptly dropped his teacup with a crash onto the wooden table. The Daily Prophet's below-the-fold article for August 26, 1994, was as follows. Harry Potter and Sirius Black seen at the Quidditch World Cup in the company of known werewolf. The below-the-fold article, written also by none other than Rita Skeeter, featured such words and phrases as Britain's beloved boy who lived, his nearly as famous godfather, seen enjoying the Quidditch World Cup, known werewolf Remus Lupin, controversial Hogwarts professor, resigned in disgrace, and questions concerning guardianship considering choice of companion may lead to investigation. Mooney, are you all right? Sirius said as he came to stand behind Remus. Then his jaw dropped, and he snatched the newspaper from Remus's hands. Remus stared numbly down at his spilled tea and began fumbling for his wand to clean the mess. But Molly did before he had the chance. What's going on, you two? Surely no news is worse than, Molly was saying. Blast them, Sirius roared, making everyone but Remus jump. Nefarious dark creature, they say. Endangering his godson with his associations, they say. As if... I'm going to the prophet this minute. Sirius, Remus jumped to his feet, gripping Sirius' wrists and wrestling the newspaper out of his hands. You will do no such thing. What? Sirius cried, his face a mask of outrage, waving his hands. Potential investigations of my guardianship over Harry. 
saying it ought to distance myself from you. I'd like to see them try. And calling you bigoted blasted language. They pasted a picture of us in the box at the cup on the bloody front page. And there's one of you at Hogwarts. You're faced with the caption, Tragic and unnerving werewolf Remus Lupin. I will not have it. You could have heard a stunned pixie land on a stick of butter. It had become that quiet in the burrow's kitchen. Hermione, Ron, Ginny, Fred, George, and Percy were staring at Remus and Sirius, slack-jawed and frozen. Harry was white as a sheet. He had lost all of his appetite and was feeling very dizzy. But there was a building anger in him that mirrored his godfather. Molly was standing on the other side of the table, her hand on her chest, her face as agape as her kids. Arthur, having returned from changing into his work robes, was completely frozen in shock. None of the others had read the headline of the article, but it certainly did not take a genius to guess what it said. Sirius's face was red, and he was breathless from yelling. He was staring at Remus with eyes wide in righteous anger. He and the people he loved privacies had been invaded. They were hinting at investigations of his guardianship of Harry, and the love of his life's condition had been laid out in horrific, prejudicial language for all of Wizarding Britain to read. Serious, Remus said in a calm voice, stepping toward him and putting his hands on either one of Sirius's shoulders, looking into Sirius's enraged eyes. There's nothing to be done. You mustn't engage. It'll only make things worse. Sirius stared furiously at him. How can they? They want to take Harry away from me because of you? How dare they? Harry cried fiercely from the table. They can't do that. But maybe... Until it dies down, it might be best, Remus, if you keep your distance, Molly was saying, looking a little resolved. No, Sirius growled so harshly that Molly paled a bit. Never. Arthur Weasley's eyes, already wide, went somehow still wider. But Molly stuttered and then found her bold voice. You're moving to Hogsmeade, Sirius. It seems like a good chance to make some distance, for Harry's sake. What do you mean for my sake? Harry said, eyebrows raised and looking at Molly with a defiant and daring expression. Remus's heart beat unevenly. Molly had hit on the one thing that might separate Remus or Sirius, and that was if it was what was best for Harry. They had separated at the campgrounds because it was best for Harry. They had separated for the July full moon because it was best for Harry. Remus, with all of his precautions and planning, hadn't considered how his coming with Sirius and Harry in public to the cup might lead to malevolent gossip, or worse, to speculations of Sirius's right to care for Harry. He's moving to Hogsmeade with me and that's final, Sirius shouted at Molly. I won't have any more talk of that. Huh, Arthur thought. Well, now a lot of things make quite a bit of sense. Remus, unaware of Arthur's revelation, and worried Sirius was about to give away what he didn't know Arthur had already caught on to, jumped to distract Sirius from Molly's take on the situation. Sirius, Remus said calmly, getting his attention again, let's just say fuck them and be done with it. There was another stunned, pixie drop on butter level of silence before what Remus said fully registered, and the kids all startled a very shocked laugh at hearing such language from their former professor. Yeah, fuck them, Fred and George cried, raising two fingers enthusiastically to the horror of their mother. Sirius flushed a bit, a strangled noise coming from his throat, 
as he took a shaky exhale. Remus patted his shoulders and stepped back a bit, self-conscious now. Sirius still stared at him, and then very slowly, his frozen face moved, and Sirius was no longer looking terribly violent. He was smiling, but with a wicked glint in his eyes. Fuck them, he declared, and they're gonna pay for this. The rest of breakfast was a very stilted and muted affair. Harry noticed that Remus seemed to have lost his appetite as well, and just drank cups of tea while staring at Sirius, who was brooding with a scowl on his face. The kids kept sneaking glances at him, but he stayed quiet. Molly, meanwhile, had bustled away with the kids' clothes from the cup, busying herself with laundry and glad for the excuse. After the breakfast, the kids went out to the orchard beyond the back garden in the field there to play Quidditch. Whoa, Ron said as soon as they were out of earshot of the house, where Remus and Sirius had stayed behind to wash up dishes from breakfast. That was wicked, George breathed in awe. It wasn't for your entertainment, George. Ginny snapped. What was wicked is what that vile woman wrote in the prophet. She had no right, and they published it, Hermione exclaimed in disbelief. You lot don't think they really can investigate Sirius's guardianship because of Remus, do you? Harry asked, his eyes wide. He wanted to ask Sirius and Remus the same question, as soon as he could. Oh, I don't think so, Harry, Ginny assured him but all the other kids were looking a little uncertain. Harry swallowed his slight fear at the look on their faces. Is Prof, I mean, Remus, really moving in with Sirius and Hogsmeade? Hermione asked Harry. Yes, Harry answered emphatically, not saying that it was out of the question that any place Sirius would be, Remus wouldn't. It seemed outrageous and against the laws of the universe that one would go anywhere without the other, and Harry would fight anyone who said different. The others were staring at him, a little shocked. What? he demanded at them. The anger he had felt rising at the kitchen table, returning with a vengeance. Nothing, Harry, Hermione hurried to say. And besides, even if the wretched press finds out about that, you'll be at Hogwarts for the full moons. They can't say anything really about safety with that in mind. Well, there's the holidays, she trailed off calculating. Harry beat her to it. The full moon is December 12th. There won't be another one while I'm living with Remus until next summer. Five pairs of eyebrows raised in combined surprise that Harry had memorized the lunar chart and that he seemed to know for certain that Remus Lupin would still be living with he and Sirius by next summer. Oh, come off it, Harry huffed, lifting his broomstick higher on his shoulder and marching onto the makeshift Quidditch field. Who wants the first spin on the firebolt? Sirius and Remus sat in the grass in the shade of one of the apple trees, watching the kids play Quidditch. Please tell me what you're really thinking, Sirius implored him. Remus's hands rested on the grass, flexed in blades of grass ripped from the soil. His eyes were hard and his jaw set as he finally let his emotion show. I'm thinking they will regret dearly for suggesting anything about your guardianship of Harry. Too right, Sirius growled and for what they wrote about you. Remus didn't reply, his hands still clutching fistfuls of grass, and he stared straight ahead at the Quidditch field, although he wasn't really seeing the kid zooming around the air. Mooney, Sirius said, his voice a little gruff. Come on, tell me the rest. After a moment, Remus's hands released the blades of grass, and he sighed, bowing his head, his brown hair flecked with gray, hanging over his eyes. He looked tired, Sirius waited, 
hiding his impatience. Finally, Remus said quietly, We never talked about children, Sirius. Yes, we were barely more than kids ourselves. We had just come of age, and we were fighting in a war. But even after James and Lily had Harry, we never talked about our own thoughts on children. I kept waiting for you to say something. You were so good with Harry, Sirius. Now, of course, too. But even when he was a newborn and a toddler, it all seemed to come so naturally to you. And I was so scared of when you would finally bring it up. Sirius's mouth had parted. He had certainly not expected this and was wholly confused. Blimey, Mooney, of course we didn't talk about children. As you said, we were just kids ourselves. James and Lily, they were another story. It never crossed my mind. You mean you and I? And what do you mean, scared? Sirius said, staring at Remus. Remus lifted his head and met Sirius's eyes. I thought you'd want children, Sirius. And now I would have to tell you I didn't. That I couldn't. What? Sirius breathed. I know it would have been madness, the idea of you and I, two men, raising a child together. But you look so right with Harry. I thought you would say it was what you wanted. And that we could do it anyhow. And look at us now. Clearly, it wasn't such a mad notion. Remus smiled wryly, the smile not reaching his eyes. But, back then, I would have had to tell you that I thought it wouldn't have been right. That I would expose them to something no child should have to deal with. Part of me still thinks I shouldn't expose Harry. What if he'd seen me after the cellar, Sirius? No boy should have to see that. It's ugly. It's... Sirius's face was contorted in indignation. You were a boy yourself when you were bit. You were five, Mooney. You didn't think this rubbish at Hogwarts, did you? You were close to Harry's age. We saw you far worse than the cellar. We saw the transformation with our own eyes. And it's not ugly. Damn you, Mooney. You are beautiful. Always. What a load of bollocks. Sirius, however, knew that Harry had seen Remus the morning after the July full moon spent ravaging himself alone in the cellar of Hope's cottage. He had seen Harry's panicked face at the wolf's self-inflicted wounds on Remus's body. But he had also seen Harry's aching, his worry, and care of Remus. And he had seen how it impacted Harry. It was Harry who had asked Arthur, before even Sirius had gotten the chance, for Arthur to stay the night for the August full moon so Padfoot could join the wolf. He had seen Harry's careful attention to Remus's well-being afterward, his kind and compassionate eyes. Yes, Harry was exposed to what it meant to be a werewolf, but Sirius knew that his own experience to Remus at around the same age as Harry's had made him a better man and had made him fall further in love with the man who was so wise and so strong and so brave. Moreover, Sirius would never, in any way, imply that Remus's lycanthropy was something Remus or Harry should be ashamed of. It was not easy, and it was often very, very painful. But it was part of who Remus was, and Sirius wanted Harry to know it, to understand it, and love Remus for all of himself, as Sirius did. That was what was right. And after the summer, Sirius was now 100% certain Harry did. Remus was looking at him thoughtful and a little sad. Sirius reached and gripped his Mooney's right hand. Harry loves you, Mooney. All of you. And fuck whatever anyone else has to say. You are right where you should be. Remus squeezed Sirius's hand, and slowly he nodded. 
It does feel right serious, he said softly. Sirius nodded. Of course it does. Remus straightened and took a heavy exhale. Make them pay for what they said about your care of Harry, Sirius, but please be careful. Sirius growled low in his throat, but spoke declaratively. We'll think of something together. Huh, Arthur Weasley thought as he made his way out of his office in the evening from a very busy and sleep-deprived day, doing media damage control at the ministry. Well, I reckon I have to tell Molly. Keeping this knowledge from his wife felt a lot like lying to her, and Arthur had never been able to manage that well with Molly. And besides, he wanted to have it out with her about it now, so it was over and done with before she figured it out herself and blew it out of proportion. Said something hurtful, or caused any potential unpleasantness for Harry, Sirius, and Remus. See, Molly could be a little less understanding than Arthur, who was a curious and accepting man by nature. His love of muggles just one way in which this manifested. Molly, however, was defined a lot of the time by her protective and motherly instincts, and she had taken to seeing herself as a mother figure to Harry the moment she had met him. So, Molly had a different way of thinking than Arthur about discerning what she considered unsafe or unhealthy for children. He knew that even though she hadn't said anything adverse out loud about Remus's lycanthropy and Harry living with him, and that she herself had even assured Remus at Harry's 14th birthday party that no one would say or think anything negative about his condition, that she was holding her own thoughts back. When Arthur had gone to Hope's cottage to stay the night to watch Harry for the August full moon, she had tutted and made a fuss over him going, and when he returned, she asked him carefully worded questions with her eyebrows raised. He had seen the gears in her head churning as she reviewed Remus's lycanthropy through the lens of Harry being exposed to it. Arthur knew his wife. She was not entirely convinced Remus's condition was safe for Harry or right for him to see, although she liked the man too much to say anything and didn't want to show her own kids her views. But while Arthur wholeheartedly disagreed with her line of thinking, he hadn't wanted to confront her about it because he hadn't had time for the row. But, with her concerns about Remus being a werewolf as being a threat to Harry's safety or well-being noted, Molly had not seen Remus the previous night at the campground, and the way he had reacted was serious and Harry in potential danger. It would be hard for anyone to think that Remus was not safe for Harry after witnessing that. In fact, it would be hard for anyone to name any better protector for the boy. While Sirius certainly did well that night guarding Harry, as well as Arthur's kids and Hermione, it was Remus who took charge, and it was Remus who Arthur would want above anyone else, even Sirius, between Harry and danger. And, considering Molly's potential thoughts on Remus and Sirius's relationship being more than friends, Arthur had an idea of where she might come down on that. She'd most likely say that Harry needed a mother figure in his life, which Arthur would respond by saying that he already had one in Molly, and did she really like the idea of serious dating and bringing women around to meet Harry? She also would most likely say that the two men fooling around together was not a stable family image to present to the impressionable boy. But Arthur wholeheartedly knew Remus and Sirius were not fooling around together. What he had seen of Remus and Sirius together at the Quidditch World Cup included what he now knew to be very telling moments. Arthur was in love with Molly, and she was in love with him but he did not think they'd ever been so in love with each other in the way Remus and Sirius were, 
Well, Arthur considered, they had just spent 13 years apart. But still, even so, the way they looked at each other, the way Sirius saw nobody but Remus, the way Remus had reacted in the clearing, that was something else. That was, that was true love it was. Arthur was sure. He had reached the apparition point at the end of the ministry atrium and prepared himself to return to the burrow. Well, he thought, I've got a few questions. One, how should he tell Sirius and Remus that he knew? Because, of course, he would. He would tell them that he accepted them and that he would support them and that he didn't want them to have to hide in front of him. Two, should he tell Sirius and Remus that he knew before he told Molly? And three, did Harry know? Well, Arthur Weasley thought, I reckon I should tell them first, and I'll find out from them if Harry knows, and then I reckon I'll tell Molly.'